Welcome to Talking History, a series of talks from the Farnham U3A World History Group. The views expressed in this talk are representative of the views held at the time of the material being discussed. They do not necessarily represent the views of the speaker, the Farnham U3A World History Group, nor the team at the Mr T Podcast Studio. In this talk, Joanne Watson questions whether all inventions are necessary. From the examples that she's found, it would seem that many aren't. To fully appreciate this talk, you should open the picture gallery that accompanies it. Please go to www.themrt.studio and select the Talking History option from the menu. Please then follow the link in the post for this podcast. Now, I'm sure we've all invented something in our time, a a household hack or perhaps a more substantial idea that never got beyond the garden shed. Perhaps the invention of the wheel more than 4,000 years ago was the first real landmark. But this talk looks at some ideas that never got off the drawing board for very obvious reasons, or in a few rare cases were commercial successes that inherently defied logic. Now, of course, the key to success is to make sure no one else could steal your idea. It's generally regarded that some form of patenting existed as far back as the ancient Greeks, though the early English ones date to the 13th century, when it was a specific grant given by the crown. In reality, it was just another way to make money and included many basic items such as salt. The Venetians in 1474 are deemed to have established a legal process which we would recognize today, and this stemmed from their developing glassmaking industry. Many a celebrity has held patents, Van Halen for a guitar fret support, Steve McQueen for a type of bucket seat for a racing car, and Mark Twain for a self-pasting scrapbook amongst the many that he registered. Now, one of the early patent applications was almost inevitably military, the Puckle gun back in the 18th century. Now, this looked quite promising, but it had a few mechanical issues as it needed a more refined manufacturing process than was possible at the time. It had though one very quirky and novel feature. Now, if you look at the screen on the right-hand side, you'll see two circular discs. One has got little circles in it and one has got little squares in it. This is because this gun had two barrels. One that fired round bullets at Christians, but not Protestants, because you can see it says defending yourselves and the Protestant cause. And the other fired square bullets against other enemies, which in this period was most notably the Turks. The theory apparently being that square bullets would hurt more. Well, the Puckle gun doesn't really have the right ring to it, does it? But it is strangely predictive of this more familiar one more than 150 years later. I'm sure we're all aware of the Gatling gun but you can see some of the principles of it are, are very similar to what Puckle came up with. But sadly, it didn't do what Gatlin thought and bring an end to the war. Now, in the 19th century, there was a lot of campaigning against patents and copyrights as opponents thought it stifled progress. 
But a major reform came into being in 1852, which was the year after the Great Exhibition. And the National Archives are full of some of the newly registered ideas. If you have some boots and you have a lot of bits and pieces, I'm sure that you need one of these. It just says putting on and pulling off boots. And how about this? I think every gentleman who probably had the previous contraption almost certainly would have had a hat like this. And of course, the hair oil was something called Macassar oil, which I'm sure you will have heard of. Now, oil of Bene is an African tree, and the oil these days apparently is used in food dressing. Now, if you are of a certain age, you may remember relatives who had anti-Macassars on their chairs to stop oil ruining the fabric. Now, I don't think it was this oil, but if you remember 1950s, there was a lot of brill cream around, and I suspect it served quite a similar thing then. Who knows? Now, the biggest question about a design to ascertain the vertical height of clouds is why? And the only thing I could think of was if perhaps you were a hot air balloonist and you needed to know how high you go up. But apart from that, I'm at a loss to know quite why you'd want something like that. And then, of course, you have this, which I think is just a little overspecced, as we used to say in the business, a bit too complicated. And of course, if you had lots of upper windows, Sod's law is your fantastic family fire escape would probably be on the wrong one if you ever came to need it. And if that's cable, would it burn if it got anywhere near a fire? I don't know. But there are some very innovative people, as you can probably appreciate. And inevitably, the advances in medical science brought many developments like this one for taking leeches out. But you can see in it, it is quite a sort of prototype of syringes that we would come up and see in later time. And quite a lot of these innovations had a sort of second life when someone took on a, an idea and created something that was much more viable. Now, in the middle of the 19th century, personal safety was very important and it led to some quite innovative bits and pieces of kit. Now, this anti-garrotting device, you can see on the left-hand side there are some little spikes sticking out of it and they would be hidden behind the ribbon. My only concern about this is that you could end up sort of spiking yourself if you weren't very careful if someone pulled on the back of it. As we've never heard of it, one presumes that it never really took off. Now that was probably aimed at men, but perhaps in a rather roundabout way, so was this. I don't know how many people would want an inflatable bust. And obviously you needed someone to blow it up. Maybe that little, what looks like a piece of string is in fact the rubber tube on the right-hand side and you could blow it up yourselves. But I could imagine you standing in a crowded area and one of them gets punctured and it would sound a bit like a whoopee cushion going off, I would imagine, which might not be quite the effect that you were looking for. Now one fashion item, and I don't think this is really a fashion item, that was popular in the 19th century, but was really rather impractical was the crinoline. And you can see here one in a very fashionable lady and another when Punch having a bit of fun really at it. Now, this developed from previous fashions such as farthingales and the crinoline was patented in 1856. Now the frame was usually made of steel or whalebone. And of course this meant you could put bigger and bigger which is really what Punch are uh, deriding the, the, the fashion as. At its largest and at its widest, they reckoned it had a circumference in the region of six yards. And at the height of production and fashion, 
One London factory produced 4,000 a day, but they could be fatal. And a substantial number of women actually died in this period when their dresses caught fire. Perhaps they were standing too close to the fire. And because of the amount of fabric they were made of, they were effectively trapped in a burning cage, which sounds absolutely horrific. And of course, when the crinolines went out of fashion, the whalebone ended up in corsets and they were usually pulled so tight that there was a lot of evidence that this actually caused broken ribs and, and other damage to the women who wore them. Now, I'm not sort of just mentioning all these fashion items, but there's another one really you have to be aware of. And this is for women who yearn for everlasting good looks nearly 70 years later and who unknowingly took potentially lethal risks. Onto the market came a newly developed range of these very helpful <clears throat> products. Thar Radio, the ingredients contained not only radium, but thorium, which was another radioactive element that should at least have ensured a rather lovely glow. They were founded by a pharmacist and a doctor, Alexis Musali, and its range was launched in 1933. Now Thar Radio offered a radioactive face powder, rouge, lipstick, toothpaste, and skin cream. They also encouraged 24-hour personal irradiation. And if that wasn't bad enough, there was another internal radioactive device for women with gynecological problems. And that was described unbelievably as absolutely harmless. Men weren't left out either. You could get radium condoms. And one chap, an American socialite millionaire, he believed in radium water and drank gallons of it until his jaw dropped off. Do you have trouble getting up in the morning? Well, you might if you tried any of those products, but here's a novel alarm system. Basically, the alarm clock goes off and you get whacked in the head by some cork little circles, I think. Can't quite make out what they're actually made of. Well, to combat the side effects of that contraption, there was a very wide range of remedies based on what is now an illegal substance, cocaine. So lots of cocaine tooth drops and throat pastels with cocaine in the menthol and eucalyptus we know all about but the cocaine which apparently it says on there i think it's one twentieth of a gram i've no idea how devastating that would be if you took it every four or five hours as it says on the box now do you know what these are and i'll read you the captions on the left it says "Twas said you share your love with many but i believe you have not any at least enough to give away you keep it for yourself they say now, because of where I've got all your pictures, I can't actually read the other caption, but it's on a similar vein. And these are called vinegar valentines. And basically you sent it to people that you, you didn't like. What is most surprising about this, I think, is that they lasted for half a century. It's the sort of the, the Victorian version of trolling, isn't it? On, the, on Twitter or on Facebook, you basically send insults to your, uh, well, I was gonna say your friends and family, but maybe not them. If you did the quiz a fortnight ago, one question referred to these, the first ever traffic lights. And they were invented by J.P. Knight, a railway signalling engineer, and it used some of the same basic ideas, semaphore-style signals with red and green lamps. It was positioned near Parliament. It must have been quite a sort of novel attraction. It, I could almost imagine people crossing the road to see it and being run over by a horse and carriage. I don't know whether that ever happened. It was powered at night by gas, 
And a few months after its installation, it exploded and killed a policeman. So it was taken down. And it was in fact more than 40 years later that a system that we would now recognize came into being in Cleveland in the United States. Now, some inventions were definitely world-changing like that of the telephone. And here's Alexander Graham Bell demonstrating this in Chicago in 1892. But some people went on record and were rather disparaging. And these were quite important people in the field of communications. How wrong can you get? This is a mousetrap connected to a gun. I think that's a bit overspecked as well, realistically. This is, again, quite a novel idea that preceded others, a vending machine and a lamp. It's only sad that basically people could find a way around the mechanism and, and could start stealing the bits and pieces out of it. I don't know why it was called Pluto. There must be a reason behind that, because he'd be in the underworld and it would be quite dark down there. So I don't know whether there was a, a significance to the name or not. Some ideas are promising in theory, but less realistic in practice. And this is one of them. Now, I could imagine if you were one of the unfortunate chaps sitting there and had a rather long nose or a projecting chin, you might come out with significant anatomical damage because the, the blade on that knife, if it was sharp, looks pretty fearsome. Now, the next is an early version of something we may have all had in our own homes, the tea's made. Now, the earliest versions required a pilot light lit by gas, which was not ideal for your bedside. And this was followed in 1902 by one which used meths, and which is what I think this one is. And when the alarm went off, a match was struck to light the spirit lamp below the kettle. And then a second alarm would go off when the tea was ready, all of which sounds like a potential fire risk. Now, my father was quite keen on gadgets and he bought my mother a tea's made and it used to make a heck of a racket. It didn't last long. Now, ever had one too many the night before and tea really wasn't strong enough then this is another suggestion for you electrified water because not only could you wash in it you could apparently drink it and you could clean clothes in it but what is more alarming about this is she does seem to be connected to a mains of some description or a battery with electrodes coming into the water realistically i can't believe that you would do that not and live anyway. Now for another prediction that was far from the mark. Not the car, but someone very close to its inventor. All I can say is if you were Henry Ford's lawyer and you asked the manager at the bank, perhaps you didn't have very much faith in it yourself. Or maybe you wanted to borrow an, an extremely large amount of money to back Ford. I, I don't know what actually ha happened to Horace Rackman, whether he made a killing on the stock exchange or not but certainly the car obviously was fantastic. The chap with the rather extravagant moustache is French and he's a tailor and put you out of your misery. It was a parachute jacket. Now I could imagine if you were offered a prize of 10,000 francs, you'd be quite keen to come up with something that might work. And this is Reichelt's innovation. He experimented by dropping dummies from the fifth floor of his apartment block. And he then got permission to experiment further by using the first level platform on the Eiffel Tower, which was 187 feet up. So in February, 1912, 
large crowds came out to watch his attempt. And as you can see, very sadly, it was fatal. Now, after the event, the French authorities said they hadn't given him permission to jump, but perhaps the sight of a large crowd had spurred him on, brave man anyway, to jump. Now for a few rather bizarre ideas. I can understand the theory that you'd want to stop bank robbers, but if you were stuck in a tank like that, I would suggest it would be quite difficult, unless the arms were really supposed to be at the doors and you would collect them as they came through the doors. But I, I think there's quite a few faults in the theory behind that one. And I'm not sure that this is any better idea either, because whilst this pedestrian is standing in the appropriate position, most pedestrians crossing the road are actually side on to a car. So I think all that would happen is they'd be bounced down the road and then run over. Anyway, someone had a go. This is one for our times. The cylinder is apparently full of oxygen. And I think you need quite a considerable amount if you were stuck under that, which looks pretty heavy. I don't know what the, the hood was made of. But this chap, apparently he was a, quite an inveterate inventor. You'd certainly eliminate outside noises, but I think you'd probably get a headache if you were wearing that. I don't know how effective they would be. And of course, if you've got a puncture, you'd be in trouble. I think it'd be quite tricky to put those on, to be honest. You probably need some assistance to wrap them around you in the right order. So this is an autoped, 1916, and they tended to be uh, run with petrol of some description in the little tank. And then the pole monocycle was a sort of derivative of that. And of course, that led on to the more modern contraption called a Segway, which I'm sure you were aware of. And they only announced a few weeks ago that they were going out of production. And Segways were fine when they worked. The World Athletics in Beijing and the cameraman on the Segway, his job is to follow Bolt, who's just won his gold, wherever he goes in his celebration. And that's fine, except in this particular instance, as they were going along the side of the track, the Segway clipped the camera tracking and it took Bolt out. I mean, that's a red card offence, if ever there was one. And Bolt was extremely lucky not to be injured. In fact, he ran in the relay the following day. And of course, he won another gold medal the following year. But that could have been career ending. And can you imagine what the financial implications for the championships or the Segway makers would have been if he'd sued them? Again, this is a, one that was devised for a promotional campaign. Because I think that had they got wet, they would have been rather uncomfortable. And I would have thought they'd be quite scratchy. Now, the next one may seem unlikely, but it is true. Now, Eleanor Roosevelt, the president's wife, by her own admission, knew nothing about handling or feeding a baby. And she bought a prototype, one of these, which is a chicken wire cage, after the birth of her daughter in 1908. And she did hang it outside the window of her New York City apartment and placed the child in it for her naps until a concerned neighbor threatened to report it to the authorities. Now this version is from a few years later, but it was very popular, not only in the US, but in England. And you know, can you imagine this child suspended 40, 50 feet up and rather marooned? I could think of being traumatized for life if you were stuck in one of those. Now the next idea is in operation today. Whereas in, in Britain, you'd find babies that were left on the steps of churches and things like this. This is a, a contraption where now you put a child in it, 
it registers it and someone comes and picks the child up. And the figures are from last year. So it gives you an indication that these are still in operation, certainly in the Czech Republic, but apparently quite common in Eastern Europe. Significantly, the instructions are in English as well as I'm presuming that's Czech. Now the world is full of enthusiastic inventors and Rear Admiral Bradley Fisk was one such who gained celebrity status. Now some of his ideas were very innovative, such as telescopic sights for ship's guns. But this, a reading machine from 1922, seems rather less effective. Now the basic idea was that books would be printed onto small pages in really tiny letters, and the readers would hold modified magnifying glasses up to their eyes to read. The rationale was it would be cheaper to manufacture than traditional books, less paper was needed, it would be easy and cheap to send by post, more free space in the house, and I quote that poor people could afford it and therefore learn to read. Thankfully, the advent of cheap paperbacks was one reason that it didn't take off. I would think it wouldn't do much for your eyesight, to be honest. But let's get back to some more wacky ideas. I'm not sure how effective they would be, because once you've got a little bit of snow on them, you'll be in the same position as you were if you just were wearing glasses. I'm not sure whether this is the same French inventor who came up with the car with the scoop on the front, but it's um, equally a little strange. And I don't know how fast you'd go in the water, and I don't know how fast you'd be able to go on land. So I think it was a hybrid that served neither function particularly well. Now there's quite a lot of modern precedence for something like this, isn't it? But could you imagine on a wet day, if you had this on and you were above a contact, I would think that would be a short circuit that could do no good. But I think you can get modern heated jackets where they're sort of battery operated these days. So way ahead of its time, but with one fatal flaw, possibly quite literally that one. How many of you longed to be a piano player while you're in bed ill? That looks quite tricky, quite heavy if it came off its fastenings, I would suggest. But if you're a bit too small, you could always play this, which is a, a keyboard for people with less range in their arms. But I would think that you'd have to learn a completely new technique to play that. And if you then graduated to a larger piano, you'd, you'd find it quite difficult to make that transition. Now, how about these? Someone described them as being like large tubers, but the idea was basically quite similar. It just listened out in the same principle as the old ear horns to find out, and then you could latch onto the target, a passing aeroplane, and fire at them. Now, there are pictures of not quite such extravagant devices, but a similar theory for listening devices that were produced during the war. What about this? Now, what you don't know about some of these things, whether it was just a one family operation that they come up with this novel idea and decided to, well, if not patented, decided to develop it and someone had taken a picture. But I would think, again, another traumatised child, the baby cage, and then they got one of these, they really would feel that life was against them. I'm not a gunsmith and I don't know quite what the bullet was supposed to do, but I always thought bullets would go sort of in a straight line. So I would imagine that the barrel could probably explode as the bullets hit it. Another one that didn't take off. Now this is quite a fun idea, well not fun, but quite a novel idea. And of course now policemen have body cams. And this in theory is a precursor to that because when the policeman fired, it would release the shutter on the camera and take a picture. 
Now it says in the bump that you could just click it and if you missed your burglar, it would still take the picture. But I don't know how big the film would have been to get it in there, how many shots you could do. Someone obviously spent a lot of time working this out. Oh, three shots it says you could make. Who knows what happened to that and what it developed into. Now, the battle between TV and cinema was touch and go to start with as TVs weren't part of the average household until we really got to the coronation. But one cinema chief didn't rate the idea very highly. Now, as we indicated earlier, and just with that quote, there were some people that came up with their views on modern technology that were proved completely wrong. And here are a few more of those. And one thing we have learned over the last few months is that remote shopping is extremely feasible and what more and more people seem to want to be able to do. Now, as they used to say, for something completely different. I can understand why coloured tyres might be quite fun, but having light bulbs inside the tyres does strike me as being, well, tricky to say the least. If you've got a puncture, and the, maybe they would cause a puncture if the light bulb burst. And I can equally see why they were very distracting. Can't see Lewis Hamilton going around an F1 track and those sort of tyres, certainly not. Now, another idea that failed to live up to its inventor's expectations was smell-o-vision from the early 1960s. The first version saw cinemas release odours into the audience at strategic parts of the film, but the hissing noise was distracting and unappreciated. So the next idea was to give the audience odour-releasing scratch cards and I do remember going to the cinema once where they tried this out, but the smells weren't strong enough. And with the lights down pretty low, there was a more than even chance that you'd scratch the wrong circle at the wrong time. And so you'd, you wouldn't get what the cinema suppliers were hoping that you'd get. So an experience that never really took off. So now back to the patent office for some more fails can't really see anybody wanting to do that. Obviously, exercising your gums, I'm sure, could be done better than by doing that. But who knows? Now, this just looks like a glorified dog muzzle to me, with a little padlock on the side. And also, your chin looks pretty well strapped in there. So if you wanted to cough, it could be quite tricky. So I don't think that would have got too many buyers. Again, something totally overspecced. Has to be American, because only then we're thinking of making guns into things like a pepper grinder. I think the pepper went in sort of near, near figure two on the top left-hand corner. And then you pull the trigger and it would grind it and then come out at 63, I think. Now, here you are. How about this? It's sort of like a more modern version of those inflatable bust corsets that we had earlier. Now, you can see that this is from 2001, so it's actually quite a modern patent. But realistically, it's not something I'd want to wear. Put my gin and tonic in there, drink out of it. Someone thought it was a good idea. And what about this? Again, I would think that if you rolled up your spare leg, you'd have a rather sort of unsightly bump on your waist or wherever it was. So wind protector. Now the thing about this, if you read the spec about how it's useful when you're driving, is the suggestion that the driver would be holding this in one hand and driving with the other, or else they had a friend who was in the passenger seat who was holding this in front of the driver. Either way, not very safe. Now, this is something that the application expired in 1995, but could be coming back into vogue. 
This is rather like those Venetian masks that people would wear on a, on a stick, but obviously is a face mask. I mean, can you imagine going into Waitrose wearing one of those? If you had it over your nose, you would you probably comply with the regulations? I don't know. Now, of course, sometimes a mistake does end up being a fantastic innovation and a real money spinner. This chap saw a fish in a fish shop and the fish was flapping around by all accounts. He was just in the business that saw potential in it. And these were really, really popular at one time. And it's said that he made it, they asked him how much money he made and he wouldn't say, but obviously it sold millions and lots of people came up with Billy Bass replicas of various success rates. I believe Princess Anne has one of these in her house and it's their after dinner entertainment. The thing about cornflakes is that whilst William Kellogg devised this for his brother and it worked very well for the sanatorium, his brother then wanted to add sugar and John said no. So he, he went off and founded cornflakes. And so the Kellogg's is, is one brother who made a lot of money and poor John, who for health reasons saw the, the downside of adding too much sugar, uh, lost out. But that's how cornflakes were developed. Now the thing about something like this is you could imagine him sitting there and this tension spring bounces around the floor, but to actually take it to be invented or produced commercially is another step. So whether he showed it to his mate and his mate showed it to his other mate and then someone realized there was commercial potential behind it, I don't know. But obviously it was a very successful idea for many years. Betamax, I wonder how many people went for Betamax instead of VHS. This is just some old Betamax machines. What surprised me was that the tapes for Betamax are still available until relatively recently, which suggested that the machines that used them were, were very robust. I'm sure we all remember leaded petrol. So Thomas Midgley, one of the most dangerous scientists around by all accounts. Midgley didn't actually die of lead poisoning, which you might have suspected, though sometimes he actually had to go on holiday to recover. He actually contracted polio, which may well have been a consequence of all his researches, and that led to his death, but in a rather strange way. He was severely disabled by polio, and he invented a complicated piece of machinery to help him get out of bed. But one morning he got tangled up in the ropes and he strangled himself. So a series of rather dodgy inventions. Now, on the lighter side, do you suffer from butter that's too cold to spread on your toast? Well, this is what you need. So it is commercially available. I'm told it works very well on corn on the cob, which you could imagine. I'm not sure how well it works on toast because obviously you end up sort of pushing the stick through the toast, I would think. Now, do you need a little help around the house with a bit of housework and you have a few little ones about the place? Well, how about these? $40? got $40, I suspect your child would look somewhat less than pristine once he'd finished using it. I'm going to finish with one that might have changed the way we travel by train. It was a space age patent registered by British Rail nearly 30 years ago. We could have been going down to Farnham Station and jumping on one of these and ending up hovering outside Waterloo as we wait for the signals to change or, or whatever. In theory, it's, it's possible. I'm, I'm surprised that British Wales spent any time or money in devising a patent like that. I think if you've been inspired by some of these slides and you have an idea that you think has a future and could change the world, 
Here are a few basic facts about registering a patent. So there you are, ladies and gentlemen, just a, a very brief look at some of the patents that have been and gone and generally not really impacted on our lives too greatly, but were the brainchilds of some very innovative people in the past. Thank you. This podcast has been produced by the Mr. T Podcast Studio in association with the Farnham U3A World History Group. Thank you very much for listening to this talk.